Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julianne Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time children's literacy wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, web designer and creative dance teacher who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens. Hello, everybody. Our 19th episode. Going by fast. And I think we mentioned for our last episode that we've most likely hit 2,000 listens. Unbelievable. Yeah. So we've got a little little giveaway going on. Check out our Instagram page. Yes. be closing soon and hopefully yes. you'll be the lucky winner of a book pack. Mm. So let's dive in. Pamela, tell us what is the title of today's book? Oh, I'm really excited about today's book. I love this book. I'm reviewing... Sherlock Bones and the Natural History Mystery by Renee Tremel. Oh, we are big fans of Renee. We have her um, her garden mystery book, which we went to her launch. It was wonderful. Mm, I went to the launch of this one. We don't have I've, – I've sort of known Renee a little bit on and off for a while um, and she's, she's an amazing illustrator and she's got quite a few picture books out. But when uh, – yeah, when we saw this one, we actually ended up going to the, the launch of this one. It was a lot of fun. Yes. So would you read the jacket blurb with us? Yeah. Hi there, I'm Sherlock Bones. <laughs> Who is Sherlock Bones, you ask? Well, I don't like to brag, but my trusty sidekick Watts says I'm the greatest detective in our whole museum. Don't you, Watts? Watts? You might not be able to hear Watts because he's technically a stuffed parrot, but I always know what he's thinking. And right now he's thinking, can we solve the mystery of the missing blue diamond and save the Museum of Natural History before it's too late? <laughs> that sounds <laughs> totally up my alley. <laughs> oh, it's very funny. And what would you class this as? What genre? Oh, well, this is a graphic novel, which, you know, graphic novels are becoming very popular lately, but this is at the lower end in terms of age range, more like a junior fiction graphic novel. And, yeah, I know I've reviewed a few junior fiction books lately and there have been, you know, we've talked about that in the last episode. Um, but, yeah, this this one, it's it's a bit different because it's um, because it's a graphic novel, you know, it's it's good for anyone who's into graphic novels, really, any any kid, you know, unless they want something that's really dark. Um, yeah, it's quite light, this one. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, it, you know, like I say, graphic novels are becoming popular and so some kids are just trying to you know get their hands on, on whatever they can um and it's it's I think because they, they they love that visual element but they also like the humor and there's still that interplay of text and graphics which is you know it's hard to do but when it's done really well it's, it's just fantastic the um the 13 story treehouse books and Aaron Blavey's bad guys are a great example of this as well and um yeah I, I think I think Renee's done a really good job of this one so yeah. Wow. And what would you say the estimated word count is, which always really 
um, puzzles me with graphic novels because they're so, you know, full of pictures. You're never quite sure. I never know how to um, sort of say whether or not the Treehouse books are 20,000 words or 10,000 words. So, Yeah, it, it's really, it was really hard to estimate because some pages have 40 to 50 words and others have none. So it's about 260 pages um, and I'd say this one comes in well under 10,000 words. And the, but the graphics tell as much of the story as the words do, you know, so you, you spend quite a bit of time actually looking at the graphics to see what's going on. I'm, I I think the 13-storey treehouse books, I think they're a little bit longer. I think they're probably a bit over 10,000 words. Yeah. Um, I think I did do an estimate once. But um, but they're slightly sort of different because um, these more sort of have the panels, whereas 13-storey treehouse is more just an illustrated story. These have the graphic panels. Oh, Wow. So tell us about it. Uh, so, yeah, Renee has written and illustrated some gorgeous, gorgeous picture books, and including her most recent picture book, Sleep Type Platypup. She has a real love of Australian animals. And um, when I saw her talk about this book at a writer's event, I just knew it would be perfect for my six-year-old son and because it, it's got everything he loves in there it's got bones it's got precious gems it's got humor it's mystery seriously perfect for him so um yeah when we took him to the i took him to the book launch at the little book room in carlton which is a fantastic place for book launches and i think since then he's probably read it about a dozen times but what was really great at the book launch was how renee talked about how the book came about and it came about from her seeing um, the skull or the bones of um, Tawny Frogmouth. And so Sherlock Bones is actually the skeleton of a Tawny Frogmouth. It's got quite a usual, an unusual skeleton. It just so happens that we had a Tawny Frogmouth in our garden the other day. So Wow. <laughs> showing what it's like with actual, you know, flesh and, and feathers. So, um, yeah, so it was really interesting to, to hear how, how it came about. Wow. And um, so Sherlock Bones is, is the Tawny Frogmouth um, in the State Natural History Museum and his sidekick Watts is a stuffed parrot who doesn't say a word but manages to be hilarious nevertheless. <laughs> the blue diamond goes missing from its display. Sherlock Bones and Watts set out to solve the mystery with or without the help of Grace the raccoon who has a penchant for sweets. And I won't say more about the plot or I'll give too much away. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's got me in from you know the the get-go so what was your overall enjoyment oh I loved it it was it was great fun as I said this is this is my six-year-old's favorite book as we're sort of reading it the first time he said mum it's climbing up my list of favorite books oh. and uh, in fact I actually, I actually had to ask him nicely to borrow it so I could complete this review but um yeah my, my eight-year-old loves it too and he's also read it a few times and yeah, when we read it together, we laughed a lot. The The interplay between graphics and text is brilliant. And there are some little extra jokes in there for grown-ups to find throughout it. So that was really fun as well. Oh, fantastic. So who will love this book? What age would you recommend it for? Uh, the recommended age for this one is six plus, which I would agree with. Although if you have a confident reader under six, it would be fun for them too. There's nothing, you know, nothing too graphic that... Compared to a lot of the graphic novels, it's quite mild on content, so it's great for sensitive readers who still want to read a graphic novel. And I think some of the other graphic novels that kids around this age get into, so things like Dogman, 
um, some of the content gets a little bit advanced and there's a little bit of not swearing but cursing things going on. I, you know, wow. I just always go for it and try and teach them what's right, you know, what's good and what's not. But some some parents don't like that or, you know, the kids might pick, the, pick up the words a bit worse. So, yeah, this one, yeah, nice, mild and um, nothing controversial in it. And obviously we've said for reluctant readers, but confident, confident readers can also enjoy it because everyone loves a, you know, a graphic novel really. Yeah, yeah. And look, you can really see the work that it's gone into it and it, there's a lot to get out of, you know, to pour over and get out of it and read it again and again. So, yeah, it's perfect for reluctant readers and great for confident readers too. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. That is the um, conclusion of Pamela's 19th review. Yeah. And so, on to your review, Julie. Mm. What's the title of today's book? Today is not actually a middle grade book, which we seem to have done <laughs> quite <laughs> consistently for the past two episodes, but anyway. Um, but have no fear, dear listeners, it has pure gold amongst the pages. Today I'm reviewing Raising Readers, How to Nurture a Child's Love of Books by Megan Daly. Oh, fantastic. Now, if... You haven't heard of Megan Daly, um, you will soon because you know, she's she's the queen amongst teacher librarians, isn't, isn't she, Julie? Yes, yes. And she has <laughs> a, great, a great blog and um, Facebook, a good Facebook presence. And yes. uh, she has a great relationship with lots, lots of uh, Australian authors as well. Yes, she's so, a winner. Yeah, could you share the jacket blurb with us? Yeah, so some kids refuse to read, others won't stop, not even at the dinner table. Either way, many parents question the best way to support their child's literacy. When you can start reading to your child, how do you find that special book to inspire a reluctant reader? And how can you tell if a book is age appropriate? What can you do to keep your tween reading in their adolescent years? Award-winning teacher librarian Megan Daly has the answers to all these questions and more. She unpacks her 15 years of experience into this personable and accessible guide, enhanced with up-to-date research and first-hand accounts from well-known Australian children's authors. It also contains practical tips such as suggested reading lists and instructions on how to run book-themed activities. Raising Readers is a must-have guide for parents and educators to help the children in their lives fall in love with books. Yeah. It's a great topic, isn't it? Oh, yes. <laughs> so needed. Yeah. And so this obviously isn't middle grade and it's not fiction. <laughs> yeah. Non-fiction, obviously. But instead of self-help, I think I'm going to call it book help. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think that's a great, you know, when you start out with a baby and, you know, there's a lot of, People don't know when to start reading to their babies and, yes. you know, how to read to them and how frequently and, and what. And, you know, um, I think some people tend to sort of freeze at the idea of, of you know, of reading to children. So it's great to have Megan sort of there and over your shoulder giving you a little bit of advice. That's right. Uh, was it a long book? Well, I, I don't think we really need to estimate the word count here because you kind of use it a bit more like a textbook. But I will say it is 228 pages of pure awesome. 
Yeah, I, I've got it too. And I say I've, I've dipped in and out. The, you know, the, the first few chapters about getting started, you know, with babies, we're, we're well past that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, and there's, you know, I did, I sort of read on and then went back and read another. So it, it's a great one to dip in and out of. So yeah. what are you to this book, Julie? Yeah, so I follow Megan's blog over at Children's Books Daily. I'm also a member of the Facebook group Your Kids Next Read, which Megan and Alison Tate and Alison Rushby started together in order to get your kids reading. And I also met Megan online and in person quite a few years ago now when we crossed paths in the blogging world and she very kindly reviewed my Frankie DuPont mystery series. So when I saw Megan had a contract for this book, I, of course, wanted to support her author journey, but I also really wanted the advice held within the pages, rating two readers of my own, raising, rating. <laughs> I bet she probably stumbles over that herself. Raising two readers of my own. So, Yeah, <clears throat> good one. Um, so can you tell more about it, please? Yeah, so normally we would touch on the plot here, um, but instead, I'm just going to share some gold within the chapters. So it is really a comprehensive book about getting kids reading from the moment they are born. Now, as we've mentioned, Pamela and I have done the baby stage and it was obvious to us being total bookworms that you read to your child, but it's not obvious to everyone. So Megan has been a librarian for years so she has loads of book suggestions at the end of each chapter, which are often by Australian authors, which was totally refresh, refreshing. Mm. Now, once your child is on the way, the, dis, the, debate, the debate starts, or perhaps I should rephrase that to the question start about readers versus picture books. Um, and generally, um, we find that the readers are just so dreadful that they come home from school with. Um, and you know, I have had, I have asked this question myself, um, but she explains the benefits of both so beautifully. So it was a really sort of refreshing sort of take on that. Um, and just having the end of chapter examples, um, interspliced with opinions from people in the know, um, like teachers, teacher librarians, authors, health professionals, that was just fantastic. Now, there is a, an important chapter on um, the use of the librarian makerspace movement, which is something I, I've seen on Facebook and Instagram. Um, um, Megan does it with her teaching partner, Jackie. And, I mean, it looks amazing. Um, and she also gives some great advice about not leaving picture books behind, um, mm. keep reading aloud, which I bang on about often with my friends and at work so um, there's also some chapters about getting your reluctant readers reading and on the journey and what to do when you have a voracious reader so as I said total gold now she also touches on embracing digital technologies and learning coding which is I mean the way forward in this changing technology now I was also really interested on her take on audiobooks which was so on point because she makes several points in the benefits of them. Now, one chapter had me sobbing because you may or may not know, Megan experienced the loss of her darling husband, Dan, not so long ago. 
Um, so the reading, the dark chapter, was particularly poignant. I mean, it's taken from a place of grief and personal experience. Um, but there is a time when we can't shelter our children and books with darkness and light are the key to helping them cope. Now, I was also fascinated by a chapter about, about how to play with sight words because Giselle basically read at the age of four and we did not do any mechanics of reading. <laughs> I completely skipped it. Whereas um, Henry, who is on the autism spectrum, um, has a totally different way of learning. So um, what was so refreshing about Megan's book is it isn't all about ramming books down kids' throat, throats. She is a lover of books in all areas of life. So I really loved the How to Host a Book Party chapter, which wow. I have seen on um, Megan's page over the years. I have never done it myself pure due to pure exhaustion but one day I may <laughs> we've done several book themes for our children's parties it's quite a lot of fun yeah now she has a whole chapter on how to create a maker space um, which I found fascinating but also quite depressing because when I asked Giselle if she had that at her school and she said no but I guess never fear um, it just highlights the importance of getting you know, involved in your school, but also having a teacher librarian who's dedicated with this kind of, um, you know, curriculum. Mm. Now, I will mention my favourite chapter, which was the very last chapter, how to host an author visit. <laughs> and seriously, if a teacher librarian actually did all the things which Megan actually does, this would be a dream visit. So there you have it, one very comprehensive review about one very comprehensive book help book. Mm, it's great. Yeah, look, you know, I think it should be compulsory reading for every school principal, every, you know, I mean, if you've, if you've got a school that's got a teacher librarian, they probably already know about Megan and are probably doing a lot of the things that she's doing. But yes. schools don't have, they, they don't have a librarian or they don't have a teacher librarian or they're only part-time and, you know, there's just not enough resources in the libraries and they're, they're so underused. I mean, I know my kids, they go to an independent school and we, it's fee paying and still, the, you know, the librarian only has two days a week and she's only just got enough time for book ordering and recommending, yeah. and, you know, just keeping the systems going. And she has no time for extra displays or maker spaces or anything like that. And I think it would just... It would, it would, you know, give a vibrancy to the library and just make it so much more used and so much more attractive to students and just normalise books and normalise reading. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Maybe, uh, you know, if your kid's at a school that doesn't have these, maybe grab a copy and give it to the principal. <laughs> yes. And what I've also done um, is I always order the book in my local library. So even if I've purchased it myself, um, and I think uh, we've sort of tried to get a bit of a hashtag going called love, no, not love, <laughs> Oz Library Request. I'm so terrible at remembering hashtags. Um, but, yeah, just trying to get people in the know that you can order books through your local library. You don't pay. They buy them for you um, so that everyone can have the enjoyment of that book. And I think that's one that must be done with Megan's book. So That's a great idea, yeah. I'll just have to do that for our our local library service. Yeah. 
So I guess who will love this book? Um, what age would you recommend it for? Is definitely teachers, parents, librarians, booksellers, um, anyone who is raising a reader um, or working with readers, then this is the book for you. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot in it for different audiences, isn't there? Yeah. And stay tuned because we've got Megan stopping by the Middle Grade Maven's hot seat for an interview. Fantastic. That'll be great. Here we are at Middle Grade Mavens and a little recap for our listeners. We've recently reviewed Raising Readers by Megan Daly, which was published by University of Queensland Press in April 2019. Now, I personally find it fascinating to hear the story of how a book came to be. We thought it would be awesome to invite Megan into the Middle Grade Mavens hot seat for some authorly banter. And guess what? She agreed. So hi, Megan, and thanks for joining us at Middle Grade Mavens. It is so nice to be here. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Oh, you are very kind. <laughs> so, Megan, to kick off, I would usually ask a writer where they got their start in writing, which in most cases the author would respond with a myriad of variations on the I have been writing since I could hold a pencil thing. However, I know that is not the case for you. Could you share the unique way you began writing this very important book? Yeah, well, I am certainly not one of those people who've been writing ever since I could hold a pencil. Um, I, look, have been a teacher for 20 years and a teacher librarian for 15 years, and so I love the world of children's literature. But I always saw myself just as a reviewer of children's books and about six or seven years ago, a very good family friend of mine started up a blog for me um, and he said, here, do all your reviewing here rather than where I was doing it all over the place. And um, so I started reviewing and blogging a little bit as well and um, about two years ago now, Christina Schulz from UQP, someone I admire very greatly, came to an event that I was speaking at, worst event I've ever spoken at. Um, <laughs> and at the end of the event, she came up to me and I knew who she was and I was mortally embarrassed she was there because the, the place I was speaking had forgotten to advertise the event, so it was Christina Shaw's and about three other people. And she, um, after I apologised for the awful event, which she said was not an awful event, she asked me if I'd ever thought about writing a book. Um, and basically the conversation started from there. She had read my blog and she wanted to put my um, teacher librarian brain into a book um, and I did argue with her for quite some time that I couldn't possibly write a book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could so just hear you doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just I've never seen myself as a writer. I've always seen myself as a supporter of children's um, and young adult writers. So yes. to be on the actual writing end was extremely confronting for me. Yeah. Well, you've done it magically, so if you're going to write a book magically, you may as well do it the way you have done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so there are, I've obviously read um, your wonderful book, and there are so many important viewpoints and advice packed into the pages. How did you go about the collaboration to make it all come together? 
Um, well, again, never having written a book before, I didn't quite understand the process. So I always, <laughs> <laughs> I always knew I wanted the voices of some of my friends in the industry in the book because um, I feel like the children's book industry is an incredibly collaborative and supportive world to inhabit. And I wanted lots of different voices represented because I felt that I wasn't perhaps qualified to talk about every single topic. So I went about um, contacting some of my favourite authors and illustrators and people in the industry that I've known for many years, um, some from when I was involved with the Children's Book Council of Australia. I was National Vice President for a time and the Queensland President for quite a long time. So I just contacted people and I asked them if they would write some words to go in my book. And then the lovely people at Christina at UQP, Christina Schulz and Kathy Valance said, um, well, yes, we need to go about that. Um, there's right channels, right ways to go about that. So then we had to kind of backtrack and go through the proper channels to course, have people yes. write um, sections for my book. But I feel like it's added a lot of wisdom to my book um, and, yeah, they were concerned they didn't want to take my own voice out of the book through having too many contributors, but I feel like I was able to weave my own thoughts and my own words in amongst um, the very wise words of others. Yes, and they they all did it so brilliantly. It was just riveting. I'm now, so pleased. <laughs> yes, one one hopes. Now <laughs> I'm going to ask you to distill twenty or fifteen. I better not make you any older. Um, <laughs> years of teaching librarian knowledge into this question. So, what advice would you give to parents of struggling readers? Um, well, first of all, uh, struggling readers and reluctant readers are probably my most favourite to to meet and I'm sure many teacher librarians would say that. Um, they're why we're in the game that we're in and I first of all when a parent approaches me I always say that it, the first thing that you need to do is rule out any um, diagnosable or diagnosed literacy issues um, through seeing a specialist in the field which I am not. But once yeah. um actual issues are ruled out, then if there's no barrier to actually learning how to read and you just have what we call a reluctant reader, um, I then put into place quite a few um, bits of advice. I always say that it's incredibly important for parents not to give up or and never to say, um, oh, my child's just not a reader. They yes. can be the captain of the football team or the, you know, head of gymnastics or whatever they want to be, they can be into sport and they can be a reader. Um, I get really distressed when I hear parents or educators sometimes saying, oh, that child's just not a reader. You can be um, great at sport and you can be a reader, just as you can be a reader and great at sport. So I think that every child deserves the identity as a reader. So first of all, I um, encourage parents, caregivers and educators to not give up. I uh, then encourage them to model reading themselves and yes. to take the pressure yes. off the child and perhaps um, pull back from whinging at the child about their lack of reading and um, inject a bit of fun into the process, either by taking them along to meet some authors and illustrators who can often be very inspiring um, at either your local independent bookstore or um, literature festivals around your area or perhaps you may have authors coming into the school which your children are at 
Um, so, yeah, I think it's about modelling reading. It's about exposing them to the fun of meeting authors who can be like rock stars. And it's also about then finding the right book at the right time for the right student. You know, it's yes. really important that you have conversations with reluctant readers about what they enjoy doing and try and establish from there a really good reading menu for them, you know, a way forward, a pathway forward. Yes, I love that, the concept of a reading menu. That's awesome. <laughs> we make we have our own menus at our house, so yes. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's the same with food, you know, isn't it? We encourage our children to eat broccoli in a well-rounded diet. Well, you know, and we don't just expect that they'll eat broccoli in the first go. It's about working up to these things. So, you know, I think, I think food and books have a lot in common, and I certainly yes. enjoy both. <laughs> yes, I have seen that on your Facebook page too. Now... <laughs> You detail in the book about the rise of the makerspace movement. And for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with the term, would you share what it is and how it functions in your library? Yeah, I'd love to. And my dear teaching partner, uh, who I refer to on social media as hashtag best teaching partner ever, she sort of has been at the forefront of the makerspace movement in education circles in Australia. She was a rally car driver um, before, well, quite some time ago, clearly, before she became a teacher and then a teacher librarian. Um, so she's always had this great love of tinkering, particularly with mechanical things. And that love of tinkering with cars has turned into a love of tinkering with coding and robotics and her blog Tinkering Child is wonderful. Yes. I guess when I started working with her, I got um, interested or introduced even to the makerspace movement. And basically it's this movement um, which has not originated in Australia but which sees libraries as community hubs, um, places where people have always gathered. And I think you would say that public libraries do have that feel about them, that they are community hubs. And they're places where people gather to um, tinker, to create and to reinvent and to cycle and to upcycle. So the makerspace movement is um, has sort of originated in libraries and it sees people coming together to make and create together. And it can be really low tech. It might be a um, similar idea almost to a men's shed where men come together and create things um, out of wood and all sorts of bits and pieces. So it can be very low tech or it can be very high tech. And we have both those forms in our library. We've got very low-tech makerspace stuff, which is probably <laughs> where I'm at. Um, so creating with cardboard and lots of packing tape and lots of wool and anything you could possibly imagine. And then we've got very high-tech stuff where we add, well, Jackie adds lots of bits and pieces of robotics to some of the creations that we've made and we do lots of coding as well. Uh, it just sounds fantastic. It is fantastic and it's a really great – Thing to have in the library also for those kids who are maybe your reluctant readers because you know we've used a lot of books in our makerspace movement we've used our non-fiction books we've used stories from our fiction books to um, inspire creativity and to inspire a love of making and of recycling and upcycling and you know frankly the kids have to walk past all of the shelves to get to the makerspace so you know I'm always throwing a book at them as they walk in or out of the library. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Now, I, I think I've already answered my question five, so I'm going to go straight to question six. Um, you include a chapter called Reading the Dark, which I, of course, was sobbing as I read it, um, knowing of Dan's passing. Yeah, thank um, you. And I, I know in my own child's experience, I don't, 
I don't know when to introduce these kinds of books. Um, I, I know I can't shelter her. So my question is when to introduce these kinds of books um, that deal with the deep issues? Yeah, well, um, of course, with my um, brother, aunt and husband all having passed away in the last um, six years, we have dealt with a lot of grief in my family. And obviously, as a teacher in a kindergarten to grade 12 school, um, a lot of my students at school have been... Um, I don't know, witness, I suppose, to my grief. And whilst yes. I don't think that my grief defines me on any level and it certainly doesn't define my two children either, it is a part of who I am. And I guess through this whole journey, what I have discovered is that there is a vast array of books out there which deal with the big issues in life, from grief to um, war to all kinds of big global issues, which I would call dark or deep issues. Um, there are books for all ages and stages. I, I, and you know, I think that literature. Um, is a well I know that literature is a reflection of life and if literature is a reflection of life then literature must also be a reflection of the light and the dark in life um, which many children from a young age are either have experience with sadly um, as in the case of my own children or will have been touched by perhaps um, in relation to what their peers may be going through, whether it be um, divorce or separation in a family or the illness of a sibling. Um, you know, there will be many times where children will be touched by the dark. And I actually have decided over the last five, six, even more years, honestly, since as long as I've been a teacher librarian, to be honest, that children are actually much more capable of taking in some of the big issues than we give them credit for. Yes. I think we have this tendency to only want to give children happy, happy, joy, joy books where everything ends up beautifully and everyone goes away happy and the fairy flies back to fairy land. But in fact, I think a lot of children are well and truly aware that there's some big stuff going on in the lives of either their parents or, or their peers at school or at childcare. Um, and I think that you can have those conversations from a young age with age-appropriate literature. So the first books which I found quite some time ago were those by Shona Innes, who is a psychologist, and she's written um, a series of books on all sorts of dark topics, I suppose, like death and um, divorce and all sorts of body image. And they're aimed at a very much an early childhood audience, um, and they're very age-appropriate. And absolutely beautiful ways to have conversations, really um, just casual almost conversations about some of the stuff that might be going on in the life of a child. And I, the other thing I would say is that we worry as adults that children will be scared. And whilst clearly you're not going to read, I don't know, the final scary Harry Potter book to a three-year-old um no. <laughs> they do take it in at the level that they are at so for example you know I have a uh, year six mother-daughter book club and sometimes the parents worry that books on the holocaust or war might be very upsetting for their child but we as adults come at those books with all of the knowledge that we have as adults about the holocaust and the horrors of it children take it in at the level at which they can cope with and actually I don't think you can ever have too many books about an issue like the holocaust of the stolen generation um, and the more they read these books the 
more they deeply absorb these issues, understand them, develop a greater sense of empathy um, and all of those sorts of things that we want our children as members of society to develop. So I think that you start early, you start age appropriate and you continue reading books which have got some happiness and some sadness in them. I think it's all about balance. Definitely, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I um, I can't even pretend to know, um, you know, where you have been, but I know that I can try and prepare my, you know, future world for a better yes, world. So that's exactly <clears throat> right. Yeah, we have to, we keep, have to keep reading these books. They we have, do. It has to be out there. Yeah, we do. <clears throat> now, has there ever been a time in your career where you simply had to discard all the research and theories and just do something completely different in order to nurture a child into the reading fold? That is a very good question. I like that one. Personally, um, look, I would say because I work so closely with parents, um, either through my work on my blog and on my Facebook page or through my work as a teacher librarian, obviously working with the parents in my community, I think the thing is that I always work alongside parents. So I may not have um, done something totally different, but I have encouraged parents to do something totally different. So, yeah. you know, I have not read anywhere in any academic research that it is okay to pay children to read. But oh, I, I, am not, I am not a bribery. I, um, you know, and I've had this discussion with a number of parents of particularly tweens who are finding it hard to fit reading in. Look, I think if we pay kids to wash the car and do chores at home and whatever, whatever. I mean, parents pay kids for all manner of things these days. I'm not there yet, I have to say, but, um, you know, apparently my time will come. I don't mm. see any harm in either um, a little bit of considered bribery, whether that be an outing or whatever, whatever, or money. I have often mentioned to parents of tweens and teens that I think it's okay um, to pay your children to read or bribe them to read in some other way. And I have to say, I've had those parents come back and say, it worked because I always think, I always think if you just eventually find the right book, for some really reluctant tween and teen readers, they are not going to read a book unless you are literally going to strap them down or yeah. pay them. So, but when they find that right book, it can be a life-altering experience. You just need them to fall into story and, um, you know, then you clearly aren't going to be paying them for the rest of their lives. So I am not above bribery. How's that for a bit controversial? Yep, yep. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I um, I have to confess that even though I am an author and I'm a bookworm now, I was not a reader as a child and it wasn't until my dad actually gave me a box of Barbara Cartland novels. <laughs> That's which, wonderful. <laughs> you probably may not even remember them, but oh, they're so them. obscure. <laughs> well, she was prolific, but, you know, the old romance 
And it wasn't until my very late teens that I became a reader. So, yeah, you never know when it's going to You really to don't. And that's why I encourage parents to not give up on their child becoming a reader and forging an identity as a reader and to take whatever steps they need to to get their child to read because we live in a world that requires them to read. Even if they are, you know, if, if they're going to be a more math, science-orientated child in the parent's mind, my glory, just looking at the um, amount of reading literacy that is involved in senior maths these days is mind-boggling. Yeah, it, it's terrifying really. Now you do a wonderful five on Friday book recommendation segment on your Children's Book Daily Facebook page. Now as a busy working mum librarian, when do you get the time to read all those <laughs> books? Are you literally walking around the library slash house with your nose in a book, tripping over stray children and anxious pets at every turn? Uh, so you're referring to my dog there that's on um, Valium and yes. Prozac. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well documented, my dog, well documented. Um, yeah, poor old Tyson, he, he is an anxious little bunny. Um, I... I guess I prioritise it. I, I don't watch a lot of television um, and I make that decision, particularly since my husband has passed away. Sometimes all my brain wants is to um, to disappear into a mind-numbing television show. But yeah. I think um, I'm not disciplined. If my mother's listening, she will now be laughing out loud. I am not disciplined in any way at all, um, certainly not with eating or exercise, but I am disciplined with my reading. I've really yeah. made it a priority in my life because I know that I feel better when I read. I don't yes. feel better when I exercise ever. I, I will never understand that, but I do feel better when I read. So I don't watch a lot of television I make it a priority. I make it a priority for my children um, and I do try and almost schedule in time for reading. If, if other people can schedule in netball practice, which we do also, but, I mean, I my children's sporting commitments and school commitments are highly scheduled, so I also yeah. shove in scheduled reading time. Um, and, look, I also don't sleep very much. I Thanks to my great-grandmother yeah. and grandmother and mother, we have a strong insomnia streak in my family. So, <laughs> you know, um, unless I'm taking a tablet, I, I don't sleep very much. So reading it is. Yeah. I um, I actually don't watch much TV myself. Like I've never watched Game of Thrones. I don't watch any reality TV. And people just say, what do you do? And I say, I I read. <laughs> and I they think you. I'm slightly weird, but yeah. yeah anyway. And I suspect you'd be the same as me. I know that Game of Thrones has an amazing storyline, and I know if you and I started watching it, we'd probably fall into it. Oh, so I don't allow myself to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> I just hear about it on Twitter. That's <laughs> right. We don't need to watch it. No. Now. Now, I'm going to give you a three-book limit here because being a librarian, I know you have millions of recommendations. So limiting it to three books, and I mean in the middle grade space, what should every child have the opportunity of reading? Okay, so when you asked me about this earlier, I thought, okay, I'm, I've just, I'm still at work. And so I scanned my library shelves and I thought, right, find three of your favourite books, but then don't look any further because yes. 
I yes. wouldn't be able to limit it otherwise. So I have picked up three of my current favourite middle grade books, which I am absolutely insisting the students at my school read and which I have very many multiple copies of. So my first book is Everything I've Never Said by Samantha Wheeler, which I am just loving sick and I have not had a student return it to me and say, it was ho-hum. I, you know, I just think that book is astonishing. Yes, Keep going. Second <laughs> is The end, end Sister by Penny Russon. And, again, yes. I just love this one. And I'm not – this one is about – has got even some ghostly elements in it. I'm not into ghost elements. I am very easily scared. But I absolutely adore the mystery and the um, narrative of the family in this book. The language is beautiful. I don't know. It's lyrical. It's lovely. It just took me into another time and place and I adored it. And I think um, Penny may have just won an Aurelius for that as well. Actually, she did. You're right. I saw that on social media yesterday. Yeah, and well-deserved, well-deserved. Such a great book. Yes. And my third book is The Inconvenient Adventures of Bronte Metalstone to be followed up by the slightly alarming Tales of the Whispering, the Whispering Wars. Wars. I mean, honestly, <laughs> yes. why would the author, Jacqueline Moriarty, uh, like seriously, Jacqueline, like long titles, my friend, <laughs> but I absolutely adore them. And I guess a little bit like the ancestor, I just love falling into those worlds. And my 11-year-old has absolutely devoured both those books recently and they've been incredibly well enjoyed in my school library. So, look, I could... I could list you another 10, but I've stuck to three. (laughs) And I was the one that limited you. (laughs) You were. It's your fault. (laughs) Well, it has been an absolute pleasure and um, I've loved your journey over the time. Obviously not all parts of your journey, but um, we've we've been but with you the there. It's the light and the dark, isn't it? Yes, yes. So, where can we find you online if listeners are interested in checking out your your books? Like, gosh, I can't believe I can even say that. And <laughs> engaging in your online community. Yeah, well, probably my my um, website, childrensbooksdaily.com, is the place to start. But uh, in terms of social media, I, um, I'm i pretty sure my Instagram scrolling thumb is going to have RSI. Um, so Instagram <laughs> yes. is where I, I love hanging out the most probably, uh, followed closely by Facebook and Twitter. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy all forms of social media, but I find the pretty <laughs> of Instagram very um, – yeah, gosh, I, I love it. I do too. I am hardly on Facebook anymore because I'm always on Instagram. So it's <laughs> just so pretty. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thank you once again, Megan. And we are so delighted you stopped by the Middle Grade Maven's Hot Seat. It was so nice to join you. Ciao. We're doing things a little bit differently from here on in at Middle Grade Mavens. We're swapping to fortnightly to make sure we have time to bring you the best reviews and interviews. And boy, do we have a couple of firecrackers coming up soon. Next up, Pamela reviews Inheritance by Carol Wilkinson. And Julie reviews Secrets of a Schoolyard Millionaire by our buddy and awesome One More Page podcaster, Nat Amor. If you'd like to know more about the Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com 
or to find Julie online, drop by julieangrassobooks.com. And to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckerman.net.